clue. <laughs> Glad you're here tonight. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to study together. I'm thankful to be here. Thank you to Brother James for uh, doing a great job on uh, his classes that uh, he brought to us. And um, we're going to go into another another idea, or if you will, a thought in our studies of how to study and understand the Word of God. And certainly I'm not a professional of that, but I just want to share with you some tools that, you know, that I learned um, that I use, and maybe it might help you. Most of it you already know. <laughs> You'll just uh, say, hey, I already know that, but I'm glad that you're here uh, with us. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so very much for blessing us and for keeping us, for strengthening us and protecting us, for helping us and saving us. Thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight to study your holy and divine word. We pray that you will open up our hearts and minds to understand, to grow, and to learn, and to know. We, help, we ask, Lord God, that you'll help us to never forget Jesus, your great son, who sacrificed himself, who lived and died, that we might live. These things we ask and pray and thank you for, in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, to be that will. Amen. Okay, John eight thirty two. Um, allow this to be just an introduction. Um, even when we go to Luke, allow it to be just an introdu- introduction into our, our study uh, tonight. But John eight thirty two, you know what it says, right? Uh, for <clears throat> verse thirty two, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Pilate asked a question in John, uh, what is it, eighteen? He said, "What is truth?" Right. So when we say, when we read the Scripture, and the Scripture says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, what is God saying to us? He's not saying you'll know Tony's truth, right? You know, people get preacheritis sometimes, right? He's not saying you'll know, you know, James' truth, or Danny's truth, or, or some, you know, he's not saying that. Or Church of Christ's truth. You'll know the truth, right? And the truth will set you free. So when we study the Bible, we don't, we don't study and, and try to um, uh, make the, the Word of God fit into what I already believe. We study the Word of God with an open heart and an open mind, and we allow God to open up our hearts to ensure that what we believe is the truth. What is the truth? Right? And so we're not going to study, when you we learn how to study, we're not going to study Church of Christ doctrine. We're going to study Bible doctrine. It should always be that way, shouldn't it? It always has to be Bible doctrine. What does the Bible say? Let me explain that. Let me qualify what I mean. Um, sometimes we have this idea, well, this is, what the, this is what the Bible says, and maybe we believe this all of our lives, and you start studying deeper or looking deeper into the Scriptures, and you realize, you know, I need to tweak my belief a little bit, my understanding of the Scriptures, because I'm reading all these other verses that I didn't know years ago that, that some brother from the church taught me, and, and I, I'm realizing now maybe this, maybe this isn't right, or maybe this needs a little more um, uh, in-depth, if you will, of an explanation. And so you've got to step back for a moment and, and say, now, let's, let's think about this. Is, is this a tradition, or is this doctrine? I some, sometimes you find out, wait a minute, that was a tradition. It wasn't a doctrine from the Bible. And so we've got to be really careful when we think about studying the Scriptures. I want to go back to, to Proverbs chapter 2. So what, what happens in our study is that you can't understand the Word of God if you don't listen to God. 
Let me say that again, right? You cannot understand the Word of God if you're not going to listen to God. But what, what does that mean? I'm going to show you from Proverbs 2 kind of what that, what that means, okay? Um, when we look at the instructions that God has given to us, we look at it very carefully, and God gives us actually qualifications to really, truly understanding His Word. So we're going to look at some of these qualifications and ask the question as we uh, begin this study of understanding the Word of God and how to study the Word of God. Do you even qualify? You say, well, what does that mean? Well, let's, well let, let's take a look. Okay, we'll begin at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 6. My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom for his mouth. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. All right. Now let's go back and take a look at that. Okay. First thing is, he says, my son, if. There's a condition. Right? It's a conditional phrase. If. If you really want to know this, my son, if you receive my word, if you receive the word of God, are you willing to receive what you hear about you? You see where it starts? I mean, it's easy to receive what I hear about someone else, but are you willing to receive what you hear about you? When you're studying with someone, you say, okay, here's the question. If today we look at the word of God, and you understand it with, with accuracy and clarity, and you find out that you or discover that you are not saved, what are you willing to do about it? And then when a person says, well, I'm saved, well, they're not listening, are they? They're not ready to hear. Because they already have a preconceived idea that they're saved. Now, the question is, if we, the question was, if you hear that you're not saved, if you, under, if you see the Scriptures, and you understand the Scriptures, and you see that you're not saved, are you willing to do something about that. And if they're already saying to you they're not willing to do anything about it, they're not ready to hear. So the number one qualifier is, if you hear something about you, are you willing to change? Now, I might say, you know, well, I mean, I'm perfect. Well, then I'm not ready to study God's Word. Listen to James chapter 1 and verse uh, verse 21. And we could go way back and read... Um, more of James 1, because James 1 is a great passage, but just verse 21. So here's what you have to do. If you're ready to receive God's word, verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness. Because see that, you don't want to dig through the trash, right? So you got to get the filth out of your minds. And all that remains of wickedness got to walk away from that stuff that's holding you back from Christ, right? In other words, you got to, you got to prepare, you know, if you're, you're trying to understand or see the, see the path, you got to at least see there's a path there. So, so to clear just a little bit, just clear a little bit out, we have to be willing to look at self and say, you know, I need to get rid of all the filth in my life, in my heart, in my mind, and all the wickedness that's been there all of this time, how to get there. We'll talk about that later. But it's there. And then in order to do that, I've got to humble myself, right? In humility. In other words, in hostility, you're not going to receive God's word. 
How many Bible studies have you been to where it's been a hostile environment? People go, oh, yeah, you're right. The Bible's right. I love God. No, it doesn't work that way, right? A hostile environment does not prepare the heart to receive the Word of God. So there must be humility in my mind, in my heart. In humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Are you willing to receive God's Word? Got to get rid of all that filthiness. Have to get rid of wickedness. To humble myself and I have to receive his word and plant it into my heart the next part of that qualification um, how do you view back to Proverbs 21 um, I mean chapter 2 excuse me Proverbs chapter 2 and uh, verse 1 how do you view the word of God treasure my command is what it says right verse 1 says my son of you will receive my sayings and treasure my command within you to treasure the command when you treasure the command back to Proverbs 2 verse 1 is is the word of God is it a treasure what is it to you is this a, is this a like a, a comic book or you know an encyclopedia a newspaper a, what is this it, what's the value of the word of God to you See, because when you're reading something that's valuable, then it does something to the mind. It, it causes you, like you're, if you're in school and you're trying to study and prepare for your test, the, the words on the paper are valuable. Maybe not for a, life, a lifelong adventure, but for this particular moment, the words are valuable. So how valuable is the Word of God? Every word that God speaks, how valuable is it to you? That's a nice question, right? I mean, where, where is it on, on the scale of your heart. So you receive it and then you treasure it with within yourself. And then Proverbs two and verse two. Remember the condition was if. If you treasure it, if you're willing to receive it, if you if you see it the way God wants you to see it, if you're looking carefully into it, then make your ear attentive to wisdom. That's to set to set it apart, right? To Take this moment to blank out all the noise, right, of the busy streets of our lives, right? Get all that noise out. You know, just, I don't want to hear anything else right now. I want my, my ear to be attentive because I recognize that God is about to tell me something. Oh, that's important, right? It's not just a book, you see. It's, it's the Word of God. It's as if... God is speaking to you, which he is, through his word, right? So you have to make your ear attentive. That's a qualifier. Is my ear attentive? Is there so much static in my life? And are there so many other things that I'm thinking about right now? Am I trying to get just a quick read in? No, am I setting my heart to understand, to let God tell me what he wants to tell me? About, About who? About me. What do you want me to know about me? God, because today, at this moment, I'm ready to receive your hurt, your word. I, I treasure it within me. I want your truth and, and only your truth. And, and, and I want this word with, within me. And, I, and I'm setting my, my heart to understand your word. And I'm listening to you, God. Remember Samuel, when he was a young lad, and uh, he thought that Eli was talking to him. But it was God. And he says, you go back to your bedchamber and you say to the Lord, speak for thy servant is listening. 
I'm listening. Well, think about the prophets. If you were uh, back in the days of the prophets, oh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and God said, okay, I want you, Tracy, go deliver this message to, to the people. And you, you go, okay. If you're not listening, you're not, you're not going to be a very good prophet or prophetess. Right? You have to listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Now, here's a challenge, right? As we grow up, as parents, we tell our children, you have to have your own faith. Right? You can't live on mama and daddy's faith. You, know, you, you, just, you have to have your own faith. And so we teach our children that when God is talking, it's not your time. Right? It's time for you to listen. What is God saying? What does God want you to know when you read the scriptures? Um, so setting your ears, setting your heart, preparing your heart. This is, this is throughout the scriptures, beginning in the Old Testament, where, where some set their heart. Like Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, did not set his heart to seek God. You know, Ezra set his heart to seek God. You know, you, you read that refrain in different ways throughout the scriptures. And these folks in 1 Corinthians 2, they didn't quite set their hearts to, to hear uh, God or to receive God. Their, their ears weren't attentive to what was in front of them. So listen to verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. There's this wisdom that you're about to hear. And it sounds strange. That's what it was like to them, right? And that day, it was, it was strange. But, but, but Jesus could back that wisdom up with, he backed it up with miracles. And the apostles backed that wisdom up with miracles. And it was strange wisdom because it was different. They hadn't heard anything like it before. Like when they came to arrest Jesus, they said, never has a man spoken like this. If your heart is attentive and you prepared yourself and you're ready to receive God's wisdom, they would have said, we have never heard a man speak like this. We got to figure out what this is. Right? So you dig deeper. But here's what they did not do. They didn't dig. Instead, they followed man's wisdom. And look at what happened. Verse, verse 7. Um, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood, for if they had understood it, they would have, they would not, excuse me, have crucified the Lord of glory. They would have never crucified Jesus, but they didn't want to know. They were more concerned, you know, about their nation, their kingdom, their friendships, their their uh, ally, you know, all the things that deal with worldly stuff. Okay, now, so we have our hearts ready. We're all, we're all prepped and ready to go. There's something else that has to happen. Go back to Proverbs, please. Uh, look at chapter 2 again, and um, we're going to grab verse, verse 3. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. You've got to cry out to God for understanding. You've got to cry out to God for discernment. You can't just pick this thing up and start reading it. you got to pray about it first. Right? How many times have you done that? How many times have you just picked it up and said, I'm just going to start reading without asking God first to give you an understanding? You've got to let God open your heart. Say, God, open 
please, as I read your scriptures, I know there's something that you want me to know. And I, I don't know what it is, Lord. I've read James before. I've read John before. I've read, you know, Ezra, Hosea, whatever. I'm reading this. And, Lord, but I know there's something in here that is applicable to me. Will you please reveal it to me? And if I'm not ready for it, Lord, I understand. But help me, please, to grow from the words that I'm reading in your book. Right? Give me that wisdom, please. You've got to cry out to God. If you're going to understand the Word of God, if you're going to learn the Word of God, these are qualifications before we even get into the book. You've got to think about what God expects of, of us. So I want to go look at James again, just for a moment. Chapter 1. When you're, when you're thinking about the, the Word, God says, look, when you're starting to read it, and you say, well, I've never read it. Well, first, I guess maybe that's a question. Is there a book in the Bible that you can honestly say you've never read it before? I mean, it'd be okay if you've never read it before. And, and you, maybe, you're, maybe you're interested, you're curious to know that book. Let me, let me tell you the wrong thing to do. And I'll, I'll get into that as we study more. The wrong thing to do is to grab a, a, a brotherhood uh, book about that book or a commentary about that book or, or, or ask someone about that book without reading it first. <laughs> first you pray about it, and then you read that book. You read that book. You, you ask God, have faith, to have God tell you what he wants you to know that's in that book. And as you read through that book, you might find some point of interest, and you say, I want to know more about that point. And then you read that same verse or set of verses like five times. Repetition. And read them, and read them. And you might even read them for 30 days. They'll say, whatever is ex- exciting to you, just read it, and read it, and read it, and read it, and read it. Practice. <laughs> Keep reading, and reading, and reading. Try to get an understanding. Or, you know, and it's, maybe it's shallow, your understanding in the beginning. But let God first give you some understanding. And then you can go later to some other uh, application of understanding the Scriptures. So you have to be well-versed to do that. If not, um, you could be easily misled, right? And you have a preconceived idea, and we find ourselves getting into trouble. So I want to be careful not to do that. Um, I remember uh, living, you know, my internship and, and going to preaching school. You know, they gave you this timeline. They said, here's what you do. You read the Word of God, you study it. You read the Word of God, and you study it. You read the Word of God, and you study it. Don't touch a commentary for 10 years. Don't go to any brotherhood material. Don't do that. We're teaching you how to study. You go study for 10 years before you touch any other book. Then you can touch another book. You're not ready to touch another book. If, if, because if you do that, then now you have a preconceived idea from this individual, or maybe a set of individuals, that maybe you didn't get from God. Try to get it from God first. That's faith, isn't it? I have faith that God is going to give me the understanding to carry me from where I am to where he wants me to be. And then you, that helps to get that uh, in-depth foundation. The problem is you say, well, it's not going fast enough, but that shallowness of understanding is what's going to grow your faith. Okay? And, then, and then you'll be able to, it, we'll, we'll get more into that. Okay, um, James 1 verse 5. Listen to what God says. Now, either it's right or it's wrong. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, go grab a commentary. That's not what it says, Right? It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives wisdom to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But 
let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like a surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So we have to ask ourselves, does God want me to know his word? Of course he does. He wants everyone to know his word. So why wouldn't I ask God and have enough faith that God will open my heart to understand his word? So how do you understand the Bible? You've you got to keep digging and praying and digging and praying and reading and praying and digging and praying. And there'll be tools. I'm going to give you tools to, to use. But you know, I've already kind of ruined that by saying maybe you ought not touch them for 10 years, but at least you'll have them in your toolbox, right? <laughs> All right. Go back to Proverbs for a moment. Chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse, verse 12. Listen to what the Scripture says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. So in life, we're looking for what? Power, aren't we? Right? And we're looking for, you know, gold and riches and power. Well, that, that's not, we're not talking about your career, but rather the scripture says that, that power belongs to the wisdom of God, right? Wisdom is better than jewels and better than gold. And wisdom, the wisdom of God is absolutely is precious, isn't it? Okay, one more. Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2. So this is another thing Jesus told us to do. He says, if you, verse 4, If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid, uh, for hidden treasures, if you will do that, if you will seek her out, well, how many of us seek the Word of God like we seek treasures, right? I mean, I, I'm good at, you know, I want to seek for, uh, I want this and I want that and I want this. And what is God saying? If you're trying to understand me, seek me out. You know, seek me out. Put the effort in to understand Jesus. I want to understand you, God. I want to understand more about you. Help me. Reveal to me what, what I need to do. And, and those things, Lord, that are, that are holding me back, reveal those to me so that I can, I can clear the way to understand and see the path that you've set before me. Uh, turn to Matthew 7. Jesus repeats that to us. Uh, in Matthew 7, we, we, we tell our children about this, and, and it's ask, and you shall, uh, it shall be given to you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door shall be opened. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who finds, or he who seeks, finds, and he who knocks, the door is open. So, it comes back to ask, doesn't it? Ask is, you know, ask, seek, and knock is ask. Again, ask, ask, and just, you just have to ask. God, give it to me. Let me have it, please, Lord. I want to know more about you. Well, again, we go back to the very uh, beginning. Is God's word treasured in our hearts? Is Jesus treasured in my heart? Where is he on the scale of treasure? Am I seeking my silver and gold uh, over God, or am I seeking God over all of that stuff? You know, where, where is God really, truly, honestly? I can't answer this for you. I can only answer for myself. Where is God truly in your heart? Where is he? Proverbs 8. Where, where is he? And so I'm studying, and I want to know more. But where does he really fit in the, in the grand scheme of things? You know, um, 
with my words, I, I can tell you he's right, number one. But my actions may say something different, right? Where is he in relationship to the, to the worldly stuff? Where is he in relationship to that? So look at verse 7. Proverbs 8 and verse... All these are qualifiers, right? Verse 7. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. This is talking about wisdom, right? This is God and his wisdom. Verse 9. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Really? I mean, how many times we had that Bible, that little study with our children when they're younger? Say, okay, when you go grow up and go to school, and get educated and get knowledge and make money and. And God says, no, you tell that child that wisdom, the wisdom of God's word is more precious than anything you can value in this world. And then Proverbs 1 and verse, verse no, I'm going to go to verse, verse 5. Proverbs 2 and verse 5 first. Then, so if you seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, verse 5, Proverbs 2, 5, then you will discern the fear, ah, now I get it. Of the Lord. That's where I have to get to. I have to. Yare. Gore. Hebrew words. I have to fear God. There's two sides of it. There's that respect. I fear God. I respect. And then there's that fear. That trembling fear. Right? Uh, awe. Stand in awe of God. Just to hear the name of God. Remember, um, you know, the kids would relate. You watch The Lion King and you, you heard Mufasa. And it was like, ooh, right? God. Fear God. That helps me to get rid of all the filthiness and the wickedness and to, to receive him into my heart and to treasure him and to be attentive when he's speaking to me. I stop and I listen to what it is that God is saying to me. And then I set my heart to hear more of what he has to say. And then I cry out and say, God, help me to know the truth. Not, not something that's going to make folks feel great. But it, 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 maybe that's the part of the truth. But tell me all the truth, Lord God, about me. What do I need to know about, about me? I'm seeking you out. I want to know. Tell me. The rich young ruler said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life and then Jesus told him and the problem was he didn't know how to stop talking you know the commandments and he says oh I've kept them all my life and then Jesus says let me answer your question go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor you see because that's what's keeping you out of heaven and then he walked away be ready to receive. As we study and learn and grow, be ready to receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. Verse 5, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, And that fear, 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Okay. I only have two choices here. I'm either going to be a fool. There's only two choices. I'm either going to fear the Lord or the rest of the verse. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or I'm just going to be a fool. Isn't that interesting? It's either God or nothing. I mean, there, there are no... Okay. Now, last one. Um, verse 6 of chapter 2. And the only place to get it, here's the answer. The only place to gain this understanding. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I can get it all from God. Wow, okay, wait. <laughs> and that's faith, isn't it? I mean, because he didn't say you had to go and, and get something. He, you just need to fear the Lord, and you need to, get, you need to dig into his word. And, and, and the Bereans were kind of like, they had that faith, didn't they? I mean, they heard Paul speak, and then in Acts 17, verse 11, and the Bereans were more noble-minded than the rest. They were different. Right? I mean, if the Apostle Paul came in here and brought a sermon, how many of us would say, oh, I'm going to go check it out, Paul, and make sure what you're saying is right? No, we wouldn't do that because it's the Apostle Paul. Well, I mean, we have a different understanding of who Paul really is. But those Bereans weren't quite sure of who Paul, you know, who he was. Is he really what he says he is or was he who he said he was? In Acts 17 and verse 11, and so they did some things that are critical to understanding the word of God. Verse 11. Now these were, Acts seventeen eleven. Now these were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica. Nobility. Wow, wait. Well, because they were rich? No, that wasn't it. Well, because they had the right connections? Well, no, that was were they, were they really set up with the Romans? No, that wasn't what made them noble. Did they have great No, listen these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily. Wait a minute. It, it does say that. How many times a week do we read the Bible? Seven. At the minimum, right? Because it's every day. Examining the Scriptures Daily. To see whether these things were so. Okay, so this, to understand the Word of God, it is going to take some daily, it will take daily study, right? To understand, to know, to receive. Okay, so, so uh, Into Thy Word is an is a, um, organization, if you will, that, that, um, that really did some research in this gentleman named Roger Bacon. So I'll tell you who he is. He's, he's like 1214 was the day he was born to 1294. He was a he was a monk and a philosopher. And I say, well, why are you telling us about a monk or a philosopher? Well, because he had this idea in studying called the inductive method that, it, it, I mean, it's right. It's, 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 it's right on the money. Um, so in, in, this, in this study, um, he, was, he had these critical methods of learning um, in, in his time, right, or during, during his days. Uh, he was, um, if you will... Uh, all of his work was, you think of, 
it all together. Maybe it was like an encyclopedia because it had so much stuff. Um, so it could be kind of confusing. But, uh, but he embraced the idea. He embraced grammar, logic, mathematics, physics, experimental research, and moral philosophy. And, and all this that he put together as he examined it, he had, he had three major principles. And, and one of them was the method demands that all facts must be reported. So that means you've got to have a pen, right? And say, okay, all right, let's see. A fact. Oh, that's a fact. Write it down. All facts must be reported. Number two, everything that, uh, that you find must be agreed, right? You've got to make sure it agrees because, you know, we kind of sound like hermeneutics a little bit, right? It has to agree, right? So you can't, you can't grab an old, a New Testament like, like instrumental music, for example. It's, it's not a very, it's, say this, it is an interesting subject, right? Um, the Lord's Supper, another idea, whatever other doctrine you're thinking of. You cannot grab the New Testament passage without going back to get the Old Testament mate. Because if you do, you're kind of proof texting. You've got to have both. You've got to get the, the principal verse in the Old Testament in order to understand the depth of what the New Testament uh, verses are saying to us. Really important, right? So you've got to have some, um, uh, some facts and everything has to be agreed. And then all the facts... Are, that are reported, you've got to realize that they're all given by God, right? That's where it has to come from. So everything you get and everything you, you grab, your general conclusion has to come from God. So if you have, um, one time there was a preacher, and he was preaching, and, and um, he, was, he disagreed with the doctrine of the, the church. And, and the church said to him, well, wait a minute, you're contradicting the commentary." And he was using the Bible. So it has to be, okay, what does God, uh, what does God say? So that's what Luke did. So all we're talking about, even though we want to give credit to um, uh, Mr. Bacon, um, that's what Luke did. Luke chapter, chapter 1. Let's go take a look quickly. Uh, and so this inductive uh, method of study, uh, and, and thank God for, for people who uh, like into that word, that company who did such great research and, and things of that sort, uh, it, it's, it's what... It's, it's all in the Bible. But Luke, listen to what Luke did. Verse 1. Luke 1.1. 1, 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to a compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word have handed them down to us. It seemed fitting for me as well, having, first one, you've got to get all facts. So he investigated to get all the facts, right? Everything carefully. From the beginning to write it out to you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. So he's found them, he's writing them down so that you might know the exact truth. Come back to God about the things you have been taught. So when you're reading the, the Bible and you and you say, okay, so this gentleman has gone out to grab the truth of, of everything there is and he's giving it to us and we're reading it. Now, I want you to think, we're going to look at, we're going to start. Well, let's just go, let's start. Luke 2. I want to just start this because I want to put it off. Verses 1 through 7. And I want to give you just a, a, a brief, um, just, just a little taste of kind of what this looks like. Um, not what we're going to be studying. We've got a lot of things to study about, about the Scripture. But verse 1. 
Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. That was from the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David. In order to register, along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now we know that this is all about God, right? When, you're, when Luke's writing this, and he's, he's talking to Theophilus, and he's saying, the first thing I've got to tell you is that there was this child born. And he gives you all these great, interesting facts about, about this child. And Luke doesn't, doesn't begin. He begins with the prophecy, of course, uh, in chapter 1. You know, Jesus is born and Mary uh, speaks and, and Zacharias. He starts there, but then when he gets into chapter 2, he says, i got to tell you something about this, about this child that was born. But, but, but let me give you the surrounding facts first. I want to give you all the evidence so that when you think about this child that's born, you won't say, well, could that be possible? Like, you know, there, if you look on the website today, I, I, I think this is true. This is, maybe, maybe this isn't true, but I think it's true. Um, that people, there are people out there to this day who do not believe Jesus ever existed. I know at one time that was true. I don't know if it's still true or not. Well, okay, so how do we determine whether or not Jesus ever actually existed? Well, we're going to go and investigate all the facts. And you don't even need the Bible to prove that Jesus existed, right? Because uh, Luke is telling us, hey, by the way, this was a Roman thing. You go and say the Roman records, and the Roman records will tell you that there was this, this child who was born in a smelly manger, <laughs> you know, in, in Bethlehem of Judea. And, he, and there was a reason that he was born. And he gives us all of the facts. And when you look at it, look at verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. Okay, so, so who are the people? All, all the people. All the whole earth. The whole world. Because Rome was everything. If you read about Rome, right, in those days, Rome was looked at as everything. Rome had um, client kingship. So they would go in, they would conquer a land, and they would set up a king who was a puppet king, or he answered to the Caesar, if you will, the emperor, and they did whatever the Romans wanted them to do, and the Romans would collect taxes and all these things. And so, and so th- this, this census went out, went out to everyone. There was no, no distinction, right? So you could, check, you could check all the peoples of that day and find, okay, so they were the Roman. And how many different, different nationalities existed or nations or countries or, existed in that day? They'll tell you. They'll all tell you the same thing. There was a census that was taken in our days. And this, and this census, it came from Caesar Augustus. Well, you can't get around it. You can't, you cannot get, you see the fact, when you have facts, right? You cannot get around the fact of this. And who did it? Well, it was Caesar Augustus. We're just talking about the who's now. And, and only, only the Roman Caesar had this kind of authority in those days, right? He was the, the ruler of the world. And so he could do that. But who is it talking about to us as Christians? What's the big picture? It's not about the Roman Caesar. It's not about Augustus. It's not about Quirinius. 
It's not about Rome. It's not about all the people. It's about one man, one child, one Savior. It's all about Jesus. That's the big picture. The next verse is verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Who gave birth? I want to know, who is this person? And who is this child? And who cares if he was born in a manger? And there was no room in the inn. And none of that really matters, but it really does matter, doesn't it? Right? I mean, it's all about that, that child. And by the way, if you're going to put a relationship together, that's how you do it. You kind of start with the who's, the what's, the when's, the where's, right? So the what. You get into the what now. What, what, what's going on at this time? What is this? What is this telling us? Verse 2 and verse 3. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so I'm going to go research that. Oh, here it is. I know what census we're talking about. The days of Caesar Augustus, the first census, which tells me there was another census that Quirinius was, you know, was taken while he was governor. So now I'm getting all these facts in my mind. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. So it's saying to us that there was a child who was born somewhere. Remember they said, oh, he's a Nazarene. They didn't have all their facts, did they, together? Because during the census, they would have known, and I'm sure they did, that he had to register. Because you check his mother and father's records, which is given to us in Matthew and Luke, Jesus had to go to the city of David to be born, because that's where Joseph and Mary would have been from. All the facts are here. Everything that you need to know is right here. They are registering for the oh, I'm running out of time for the census. Um, they had to go there because they were of the house of David, and that command was critical. Verses um, three through five, quickly. And all were proceeding to the to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from the Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, when you get rid of Jesus, and you think about the census, what was the purpose? Money. (laughs) It was all about taxes. (laughs) I mean, so from a worldly perspective, the census was, was meaningless and not spiritual at all. It was all about money. Rome wanted their money. And that's all that mattered, and that's all that was important. And in the middle of the detestable, where God says the things that we value the most are detestable to God, that being money, right? The Savior was born. Right? And it's an undeniable fact. Because the whole world, the whole world knew that these events were going to take, were taking place. So you could say to someone in that day, you know, remember when the government you know, did the census and they were trying to, you know, and they hit us with those taxes? Oh, yeah. I remember I had to, and they started talking about what they had to change. And they took some money out of their 401k and they had to pay their bill, you know. They remember it. You know, hit me hard, God. Hit me where it hurts, right, right in my pocket. You know the Savior was born then? Savior? What do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, there's just so much to it. So anyway, all right, we'll come back and then 
And anyway, it's, it's fun. It's been fun studying with you tonight. I, I enjoy. I wish, I, you know, we could be together, but uh, we are together. We're together. We're together spiritually. So thank you for being with me tonight and allowing God to open up our hearts. Um, if, if tonight we're gonna have a devotion in a moment, and uh, the invitation is yours to surrender to Christ. Just because the uh, we're having a problem with with COVID doesn't mean the doors are not open. The doors are open to you if uh, you would like salvation, be baptized into Christ. Uh, if you would like prayers made on your behalf, you can make those known. Uh, just contact us, and the doors will are forever open because our God is great. Thank you for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. God bless.